Hey, this is Fred Pissarro, and you are listening to Metal Matters, the official Gimme Metal podcast, where we explore all things new, some things classic, but all things heavy. For those of you who are surprised to hear my voice today and not the gentleman Mike Hill of Tombs, well, you're in for a treat. Today we'll be revealing some important points about the future of the show, as well as a three-way interview discussion between myself, Hill, and uniform frontman Michael Burdan. Hold tight for your latest episode of Gimme Metal. Hey everybody, it's that time of week again. But this time around, I mentioned this earlier that I would be leaving the show and turning the reins over to Fred Passaro and Mike Burdan. So we've come to that point in time. And I'd like to thank everyone out there for embracing what I've been doing for the last couple of years. And uh, I think that the show is in the more than capable hands of Fred and Mike. And, uh, you know, I mentioned it last week that Fred and I have been friends for probably over a decade at this point. Um, Fred's helped me out quite a bit over the last 10 years uh, by giving me actual paying work, which has helped uh, keep my bills paid and a roof over my head. And for also uh, giving uh, support to the band I play in, Tombs, in the early days uh, when Fred was the uh, editor over at Brooklyn Vegan and also a very a uh, very prolific uh, organizer of shows and for inviting us to play on a lot of these builds. And uh, so, yeah, I just, I think Fred was the, um, you know, logical replacement. And uh, yeah, today is the day we step into the new chapter of Metal Matters. So how's it going, guys? Hey, thanks for the amazing uh, um, intro there. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it's very humbling, you know, like I, Mike, I followed, I followed you for, even before we met, you know, I followed you like with, with Anodyne and all that kind of shit. So, you know, and Versoma and, you know, um, all those bands, level playing days, you know, yeah. <laughs> that was a good time, man. Yeah. Um, and then I just want to talk, I just want to talk about my good friend, uh, Michael Burdan, who's going to be joining us as well. Um, Michael Burdan's, I don't know. You might know him as a um, uh, vocalist for Uniform. Um, he's done a bunch of other uh, bands uh, over the years, several great ones. Like, um, I don't know. Uh, I've, I've known him for quite a long time, pushing 10 years as well. Yeah, um, it's been a minute. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, anyways, without further ado, this is my friend, Michael Burden. Yeah. A good thing about this too is, uh, me and Fred actually live across the street from each other, but because of the pandemic, um, we we have like keys to each other's apartments and the such. It's a thirty second walk to get into one of our the other's buildings, but I'll probably won't see him for the next uh, several months because I'm one of those people who wears like five masks. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, um, it's a. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, I'm uh, I'm honored to uh, to get this opportunity. Um, it, it means a lot. I'd like to thank Fred for asking me to join, and thank Mike for uh, for you know setting up a, a really you know compelling 
podcast. This is like, you know, pretty major shoes to fill. He's had some wonderful guests and a tremendous amount of insight uh, as far as, you know, metal and extreme music in general goes. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is a bit humbling. Uh, so, you know, thank you, Mike. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, just the, the new flavor of the show. Uh, cause you know, I did something a little bit different probably, and you guys are going to be adding to that, uh, you know, that mythology of the show and bringing in different sort of points of view. Uh, your approach is going to be different. And, um, yeah, I'm like really looking forward to it. I mean, Fred's shared with me some of the stuff you guys got in the can and um, I'm really looking forward to checking that out. So I'll, I'll be, I'll be around. I'll be listening, I guess is what I should be saying. <laughs> cool. I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're really excited about uh, a lot of the stuff, but uh, you know, I guess um, let me, let me, let me turn this back on you, Mike. I mean, like, you know, obviously this, this time is coming to end, but uh, I assume you're still going to be doing the um, everything went black and uh, obviously tombs and all that. Um, whenever all this bullshit ends, you know, um, have you been playing and writing and stuff like that? Like in your downtime? Yeah. I mean, I, I always, I've always been writing. Like I don't, we're not really the kind of band where uh, we're going to set aside this time to write. It's like, we just keep writing and demoing yeah. and, I guess being locked down like this for uh, the last year has given me an opportunity to really uh, get crazy with, um, with just the song ideas, you know? And as a result of this, I started doing a, another project called Scorpion Throne, which um, is going to be primarily uh, a solo um, adventure with a couple of different other friends uh, joining uh, to play bass and synth and, but uh, with, with that said, I've demoed 15 songs, thrown out all 15 songs, and the 16th song, I feel like I actually was able to like uh, come up with like what the band actually sounds like. So mm -hmm. uh, from, from 16 onward is going to be material that I'm going to be releasing probably over the course of this year. Yeah, and like you were saying earlier, I still everything went black is going to yeah, I'm going to be focusing on that and Necromaniacs, which is the the horror podcast I co-host mm -hmm. with Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid mm -hmm. from uh, Palms and the band Isis. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to be clear about uh -huh. that. <laughs> just in case the FBI is listening again. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff is not a terrorist. Um, he's a bass player and uh, you know, <laughs> and a good friend. So yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, everything went black is going to you know, Randy's going to join me, but it's going to be more of like a uh, you know deep storytelling kind of thing. Um, you know, I've been doing this uh, music thing for quite a while and uh, got a lot of stories, a lot of, um, you know, things that I think people have expressed interest in hearing about. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's not just going to be music and we're talking about beyond extreme music. I got a little bit of taste of the storytelling uh, thing last year, right around this time mm -hmm. where John Wiederhorn invited me to read from his book, uh, Raising Hell, um, live at the Strand. Mm -hmm. And, um, that experience was really interesting and, you know, it's the whole thing felt like a gig. It felt like a show, you know, there's like 30 people there were in this room. There's like a backstage, a green room, you know, hospitality. And then like, you know, the stage manager comes backstage. He's like, all right, guys, we got like 10 minutes before. I'm like, oh shit, this is like, like we're playing a show, you know, it's cool <laughs> yeah. without being completely you know, sweaty and, you know, and 
and rack with pain afterwards. You know what I mean? So it's like a more like civilized way of uh, expressing yourself in the live setting. So I'm looking forward to like getting into that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Have the pain just be existential. <laughs> no, just existential pain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, uh, yeah. I, no, I, the reason why I asked you that, Mike, is I, I, I feel like out of, you know, all the band guys I talk to, it's either, there's pretty much two modes, you know, they're getting everything they're done or they're getting nothing done. Um, because it's almost like, you know, there, there you go. That existential dread just creeps in and, you know, for once in their life, they actually have time. People have time to crank shit out and everybody's blocked. Well, I mean, I mean there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of baggage to carry around from this past year. There's a lot of like obstacles, a lot of like mental and emotional, uh, you know, barriers, man. I mean, it's been, it's been a really hard year for a lot of people. I mean, you know, the unknown, uh, death, you know, like people have lost loved ones and just the chaos in the political landscape. Um, that's sort of been exacerbated just in the last like, you know, month or so. And, uh, you know, it's just, it takes a lot of energy when, when you have like unlimited amounts of time like this to, impose like maybe a routine on yourself you know what i mean and that's uh you know something like for better or for worse that i've always been really i feel like i've been successful at being able to put you know like a routine on my limitless time at you know not like i have tons of free time but like pretty much i organize my own schedule now so it's like being able to get things done and not spend hours like staring off into space or deciding that okay I'm going to go vacuum the apartment now instead of doing my work, you know, answer these emails and it's just sort of keeping your mind in a, in the, in a productive sort of environment, I think. And mm -hmm. it's a hard, it's a hard thing to do. Absolutely. I feel like early on in um, the COVID days, I was hearing everybody who uh, had like office jobs, but were on unemployment or started working from home that this was when they were going to, make a record and this is when they were going to like, you know, take up painting or write the great American novel. And, you know, I'm hearing that from people who, you know, don't typically do those things where, you know, most musicians that I knew myself included, like, okay, cool. We have all this time, might as well get to writing. And I know for me personally, the first the first few months it was it was impossible. Like I, I went into this like very intense uh I had a lot of shit going on. Like my dad passed away early on in this and uh nobody that I knew who like were like on like a regular touring, recording, writing schedule was able to be like, okay, like we're going to like make the best of this and make it productive within the past few months. It's, it's changed. And like, I know people are, are working and being creative, but Holy shit, it was so hard at first. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, I don't know. I, you know, I, I lost a couple of friends during this whole thing. And um, even not only did I lose a couple of friends, I, you know, there's, there's other people like around there that we lost that were like, I kind of got hit with peripherally and stuff like that. And so I almost felt like if I wasn't consoling myself, I was consoling somebody else. And I, I had, I had trouble um, concentrating there for a while. Um, 
musically, I'm not even writing anything. I am writing, but yeah, that's a whole other thing. But anyways, I don't know. So anyways, this is a long way of saying kudos to you, Mike, for keeping your head on straight. <laughs> you know, well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, uh, I mean, you know, there's a lot, there were, there were people in my life that actually were depending on me to keep my head on straight. So, uh, you know, family members and other people. So there, you know, there was a lot of difficulty in the beginning part of the year. I had to be there for people in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And in order for that to happen, I had to make sure that I had my shit together, which was a drag because, because what I was really gearing up for was that awesome tour at Napalm Death that uh, that we were about yeah. to step into and, and yeah. uh, you know, and other stuff that was supposed to happen last year. And, you know, so I had to like switch from irresponsible adventurer mode into the solid, dependable guy mode. Well, you know, I, I talked to, I talked to so many other bands and even some, some of the shows that I did, like that I had scheduled, like one death metal show. I was really excited about that scheduled. And it was like, I was like under gang and piss grave and a couple others. And, you know, and I'm like, Oh God, I finally got piss grave to actually play. And, you know, of course they won't play, you know, now like, I'm now I'm sure I won't be able to get them because that's how this thing works. <laughs> well, under gangs from they're they're, they're German, right? They're European. I think they're Denmark. Yeah, yeah, Danish. Yeah. So it's gonna be a while before we're able to get those guys over here, probably. Yeah. You know, yeah. Tr European travel. Yeah, I think, but I think uh, the piss the piss grip guys, you know, they're Philadelphia, but I think one of those dudes has like a serious job in um, doing like documentary film. Demi right? Demian. Uh, is a very very serious established uh documentarian yeah you'll see his shorts on the ifc and sundance kind of all the time he uh he did this tremendous movie about this uh this art gallery in uh in philadelphia that has like exchanged hands numerous times and there's like weird forgeries and stuff it's called art of the steel um and uh yeah. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, oh my yeah. god! I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, that's Debian. crazy. Yeah, I've known Debian for a for a very very long time. Uh, like shortly after he played in Puritan, um, which uh, you know, it, for for those who aren't in their uh, in their you know forties to seventies, uh, they were a uh, a very caustic hardcore band uh from central pennsylvania in the mid 1990s yeah tremendously talented uh guy and pissgrave are uh an insane band I, I i can't really think of another american war metal band that comes close to what they do uh i could name some canadian ones that yeah the canadian ones close. for sure yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. canadian australian definitely but um now that's interesting. It's just interesting that like all of them, well, all of them are like, what, five or six guys, let's be fair. Um, you know, like in Canada, you know, you know, I, you know, while we're here, I was, I've always wanted to talk to you, Mike, about some of your early days with Anodyne. Um, I don't know if that's something you'd be interested in talking about. Just like, it seems like I, I was not up in Boston at the time. You know, I was in, I was in school in Atlanta and then I came up here like uh, New York City in uh, 99. You know, as a nerd outsider, they grew up worshiping Hydrahead and all that. I would, to me, like Boston felt like it was popping. It felt like there was so much sick shit going on there. 
And I mean, I don't know, to this, to this day, I still love a lot of those bands and a lot of those records from that era too. Yeah, definitely. Hydrohead was a thing uh, for sure. And I think it kind of molded that entire region. And, uh, you know, Andy and I was never on Hydrohead actually. I mean, you know, we were on Escape Artist. Level point. Um, my friendship with the guys in ISIS, the band ISIS, that is, I'm not a, <laughs> yeah. a terrorist or anything like that, uh, has uh, predated the formation of the band. I mean, I was, you know, friends with Jeff and Turner and, you know, Aaron, Aaron Harris and all those guys, Mike Gallagher, years before that. And I just remember when, when Aaron was like, I want to start like a, 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 you know, a metal band. I was like, oh, cool. Cause he was doing like, you know, these other bands uh, at the time. And he was really focused on the label, the label itself in the early days like that too. I mean, a lot of the seven inches were like hand drawn, you know, very, mm -hmm. very tactile, you know, special sort of things. And, um, you know, they were like this kind of new thing that was happening in like the, in the hardcore scene. Cause Boston, as you, you guys probably know, Boston's got kind of like a knucklehead vibe and yeah. you know, not, not a very, uh, forward thinking kind of place in my opinion you know that's very tough reputation yeah like tough guys and you know like violence and that kind of thing you know yeah so so that but they they brought this this whole new like flavor into the scene you know and i mean there were still like the the victory record stuff was going on you know like there were shows with like strife and hate breed and that kind of thing but a lot of the hydrahead stuff was really starting to catch on like you know cave in was you know one of the biggest bands in new england like in the mid to late nineties. And, um, um, you know, and we, you know, Anodyne was like on the outside of that. I think, you know, maybe played a lot of shows and that's, and, uh, yeah, there was definitely, um, a cool thing going on. Uh, you know, a lot of it was in, you know, basements and like, uh, the, the harvest food co-op would have shows, um, in Austin. Um, and it was that DIY kind of scene you know, those bands grew beyond that, obviously, and became, I mean, you know, Cabin was on a major label, became like a legitimate, like hard rock band, which I always like to see how bands from the, like the, the more underground world, when they sort of transition into having like broader success, that always, uh, I always think that's really cool. I'll still say the loudest show I've ever been to in my entire life was the first time ISIS played in Philadelphia at, uh, at Stalag 13. It was just, uh, it was just absurd. I think it was, uh, they just uh, made a couple CDRs of uh, mosquito control. It was like, it was a truly visceral experience. Um, that whole world was, uh, was, was really, was really pretty inspiring. Uh, like, like you said, from thinking of Boston one way, uh, when it came to kind of more like purist hardcore and, uh, then getting all these hardcore guys kind of taking cues from metal and doom and uh, psychedelia. Like speaking of, uh, of kind of more purist hardcore, I don't think I knew you did a stint in 454 big block. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hardcore is a weird place uh, for sure. Yeah. It's something that um, grown men, I think uh, should, should be very uh, reluctant to be part of if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> you know to, like like at a level yes you know um i mean i i love hardcore i'm like i'm always going to be i think like kind of like involved to a degree or another i'll always like identify as a punk or like a hardcore kid you know you're not going to see me uh going to a youth cruise show with uh bands that are in their 
their teens to early 20s. It's just, I, I don't want to be the 40-year-old creep. Is, is Bernay calling me out right now? That's what it seems like right now. Infer what you will. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm more commenting on the fact that like, I, I don't particularly enjoy leaving my apartment, period. No, no. I Look, I agree. I agree with you as somebody who's been around the block and also who goes to those shows and books of them. I, there's something about some of those shows, though, and I'm sure you guys know what I mean, where it's like when the right band hits the right audience, it's just all of a sudden you're 14 years old. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Totally. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's some great bands. I mean, I, like, I, I really like the new Sub-Zero stuff. I uh, haven't heard it yet. Never yeah, it's it yet. like, uh, I mean, Sub-Zero is a band that I've really liked for a long time. And it's, they had a seven inch that came out recently. And uh, it's awesome. And I, yeah, I think they're recording an LP too, which I'm looking forward to. I mean, I, I, that's not to say I don't listen to hardcore music. It's just yeah. that, you know, like having having to like uh, uh, deal with some of the um, elements associated with that scene in kind of a negative way has colored my the way that I interact with the, the music. Of course. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure you could say the same thing about um, some metal guys too. You know, there's in, in maybe even a completely opposite way. Yeah, dealing with some personalities through booking, which I've done quite a bit of. You know, you kind of you definitely see that. It's kind of it's definitely a much opposite problem. You know, like metal versus hardcore kind of mindsets. Large swarths of the extreme music community at large that, you know, in my teens, twenties, and like, I, I would excuse more kind of weird ideas and shitty behavior. And beautiful thing about getting older and like, you know, kind of living through something like that is like, as hard as it is, like you get some really, I think, necessary firsthand experience of like, kind of how you don't want your life to be. It's it's one thing to, you know, see on Twitter that like a certain behavior is shitty. Um, it's another thing to have, to, to have like lived adjacent to it. And you just, I know, I know for me, I've definitely more than once kind of like raised my hands and just been like, fuck this enough. And like walked away. Like, you know, there's, there's countless people that I used to, like, you know, that I, that I used to really like admire and like call friends that, you know, they went one way. I went another. One thing that I, I wanted to um, emphasize, I think is like all three of us, I feel like we were kind of, could be one of the last generations of hardcore before it became like cool in some sense, like the football players before that kind of wave of people came into it. I mean, before that, I feel like it was, it was like still kind of nerdy and looked down on and like vegan guy and Krishna guy and all that kind of shit. I mean, am I wrong by saying that? I feel like that's how it was in DC anyway. I think that like, uh, when I first started getting into hardcore, like in the eighties, I think that straight edge had like a big jock like vibe to it I mean, and that's like even you know like the first wave of youth of today and all that it was i mean before that i was into uh x and uh black flag and x and bands like that were like like that kind of thing you know the gun club and all that and then you know i wanted to have like a cool haircut you know and and then I'd, suddenly these guys showed up with like champion sweatshirts on that looked like they're on the wrestling team kind of weird like i wanted to escape like the wrestling team and like hang out with like cool cool girls with like 
blonde, dyed blonde hair and makeup and stuff like that. And yeah. now there's these guys that are showing up and are kind of bumming everyone out. And that was kind of like the beginning of like the jock mentality and hardcore, you know? Maybe it was just um, DC. I don't know. I, yeah. You know, yeah. and, uh, but I mean, and then, you know, like I remember seeing motor, actually, it's funny. There's a podcast about the channel in Boston, this old venue. And, um, that was a little bit before my time when I was up there, but when I was in college, I saw Chromags and Motorhead play there. And, uh, that was like introduction into like true fear <laughs> and, yeah. and just being like afraid, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. The first, maybe for the first time in my life, being afraid of like bodily harm in a real way, because first getting to the venue, you had to like, like, I didn't know anything. I was like just some, you know, some corn dog, you know, I was going to school in Boston. I took the subway, the red line to like government center and then, or not government center, South station and like endlessly, like blindly walked into the darkness of some area. Cause you know, back then there was no, um, you know, Google Maps or anything like that. Basically wandering the streets in this desolate part of town looking for this venue called The Channel. And I was like, I was afraid of like being uh, murdered first. Then when I got to the show, I was afraid of getting beat up by either skinheads or these like gnarly like biker looking guys. Cause I was only like, you know, 17 years old or maybe 18 years old at the time, you know, 18, 19 in that age group. And uh, that was like when hardcore became like a real, a real thing, you know, like, like where I started seeing like metal, you know, or rock and roll, like motorhead, whatever new wave of British heavy metal, whatever you want to call them. And the true, this like real dark side of like music is that, that's when I got introduced to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's like one of the most important formative moments, man. And, and when I've interviewed Harley Flanagan, I mentioned that I went to, I was actually at that show and he's like, wow, I can't believe you're at that show, man. That tour was, it was insane, which I imagine it was. If you think about those two bands on, on the road together. What, 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 um, what, what album was that? Around. Was it, it was Orgasmatron yeah, with Motorhead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 87. Okay. Yeah. So, so it was, was like uh, the two guitar lineup. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I admittedly saw them relatively late. I think I saw them. First time I saw them, I think, was with uh, Dio Black Sabbath. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. That's Remember great. Remember that? Like, yeah. That, was, that must have been uh, Heaven and Hell, I think. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think it was actually before they called themselves that. Like they were, they were still doing like Black Sabbath with Dio at that time. I think, you know, like before they that record was done. And yeah, you know, it's funny. There's that whole '90s era of Black Sabbath when they had all those different singers in the band. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, Headless Cross and all those records that are like kind of like forgotten, like these sort of obscure, forgotten gems. You know. Yeah. I'm not saying they're very good, but they're just interesting to listen to occasionally. I like a lot of them. I, I like Headless Crossed. I like I, I like uh I like Born Again. Um There's some I, tracks on Dehumanizer, I think. Oh, Dehumanizer's great. Yeah. That's like, you know, that's like a Dio, uh Dio Sabbath record. But uh yeah, well what's what's the guy's name? Is it Tom Martin? Uh is the uh the headless cross guy oh my god there's go somebody's going to listen to this multiple people are going to listen to this and like immediately just like want us fucking dead <laughs> yeah, get, used, get used to that man for sure yeah. there's people out there who are like ah oh, this fucking guy's know what he's talking about you know Dio sucks you 
know there's like <laughs> that's not the real black sabbath i mean whatever man that's how it is i that was the like heaven and hell is like one of my favorite sabbath records oh totally i uh i love heaven and hell i love mob rules you know um i i love that that heaven and hell record that they that they did and it's it's some of like the best doom production of of that era you know it's a tremendously heavy record yeah it's great i love that one i was excited to hear that when that, when that was coming out yeah me too you know brian may played on headless cross as well according brian to may from queen yeah uh queen guitarist brian may a good friend of iomi's played a guest solo on the song when death calls anyway i was totally unaware of that uh, yeah yet again forgotten records you know like even like even even though we do know these records we like here's these really incredible snippets that we weren't aware of tony martin tony martin it's not tom martin so whoever is out there like wanting to like kill me for getting that vocalist wrong i know it's tony martin because i have wikipedia too <laughs> <laughs> and we're in front of a computer <laughs> yeah but you know, like um, just to like, kind of like bring this back around to like kind of like intros into um, into heavy music. I think my my introduction into hardcore is somewhat similar to Mike's in that you know I I liked metal. I, I grew like I didn't have any like older brothers or sisters or like you know anybody really showing me the ropes. So like I just watched the Headbangers Ball, and that was like tremendously formative to me. And I remember there was a segment called Enter the Pit for a brief period of time where they show like death and grind and like hardcore uh, videos. And that's where I saw the Cro-Mags and Agnostic Front. And I, I really just thought that was short-haired metal. Like I, I, didn't, I didn't know what hardcore was. And then Madball's Set It Off came out and that was on Roadrunner. And I just like, you know, I picked it up because like it was a Roadrunner record that like, you know, that, that somebody said was cool. And it sounded like short-haired metal. Then Madball played my hometown, like not Philadelphia proper, but Upper Darby, which is like directly adjacent to West Philly. And I was like 13 or 14. And I'd been to like heavy shows by then. Like I snuck out of my, uh, my mom's house and saw Pantera, Crowbar, and Sacred Reich a month after my mom took me to my first concert, which was uh, Elton John. Sick. <laughs> Elton John, nice. Yeah, yeah. Bo both pretty tight shows. Yeah, you know, so I was like familiar with like kind of metal shows and how they worked. But this Madball show, it was just tons of skinheads. And there was, there was this kind of gang schism going on in Philadelphia that I found out later is what happened here. But this major fight broke out and people were like pulling weapons. I saw somebody cut across the face with a box cutter. And this is like, you know, pretty much like my first hardcore show, um, like, like proper hardcore show. It was fucking weird. And then like, yeah, you know, that's what, that's what Philly was like for, um, for a long time. You no, know, I know it was like that in the eighties from what people have told me. And it was like that in the nineties, there was like, you know, there was a lot of gangs, there was a lot of violence and there was, there was like kind of more peaceful things on the periphery, but you know, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good time for like someone who would be like kind of like more casual about, about extreme music to be like going to extreme music shows. Cause like bad things were just happening all of the time. Yeah. The nineties felt like it was about, uh, you know, violence at hardcore shows. Definitely. Uh, Cause I, I just remember even in Boston, like they had, you know, these, large venues like the middle east downstairs which 
I've seen numerous like amazing shows there, you know, Neurosis, I Hate God. You know, I've seen so many great shows there. They stopped doing shows there because of the violence. Like at like when Earth Crisis would play, like in Boston, there would just be like a you know, basically a, uh, you know, riot of, of guys, of young men beating each other up and too much liability. So, yeah, you know, I, I actually, I think it's funny, like back when I was in Anodyne, I, w- I was doing an interview. I spoke about, I kind of talked about that a little bit. I kind of singled Bridge Nine out as being like a label that like catered to that kind of thing. And then like three years later, the dude who runs that label, suddenly I get this email about like how I'm, uh, you know, opinionated or whatever. And like, you know, kind of like a vaguely threatening email from this guy who's like a, a record label, like owner type of person. And I was like, what do you want from me, man? This is like my opinion. You know, meanwhile, you run this label, then you probably send out more promos than my label, my band actually sells. So who who won? But, but I do feel like, um, yeah, it's, it's all good, but like, don't, don't be, if don't be upset when no one wants to put shows, put shows on anymore. You know, it's like part of the consequences of that, you know? I think some of my musical background, like how I got into metal. So my dad was always like a heavy music guy. Like he, he, he like, you know, I, I was young and I would, I was, I was growing up with Nazareth and, uh, um, Deep Purple and uh, Aerosmith and all that kind of stuff, you know, all that kind of early shit. And uh, to me, like, I always liked that stuff, but I didn't care for the vocals. That was one of my problems with Iron Maiden for a long time. Mm. <laughs> and even even Anthrax. I can see that. Like yeah. the Joey Belladonna stuff. And so, you know, when I heard like um, Metallica, I was like, oh man, this is my corner. Megadeth to some degree. And then, of course, early 90s, maybe even late 80s. I can't remember at this point. Uh, when did um, Chaos AD come out? 92, 93. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that record and then and Pantera, you know, those were to me like hardcore records in disguise. Yeah, totally. On the opposite front, you know, I'm wearing an Integrity shirt right now. Like Integrity to me was always like metal records in disguise as hardcore records. That's kind of why I, I identified with so much of that stuff. So I think, you know, to get to your point about Madball, I think I just skipped over Madball. You missed out. I eventually came back, but you know what I'm saying? Like at that time, I was just like, oh man, I want to wait. I want things that sound like Slayer. And probably by um, Madball speak, I was already like bloodlet, cannibal corpse and like suffocation and all that kind of stuff. That was, that, that was me back then. Heavy into obituary, that kind of thing. Well, the, the integrity thing, man. I mean, that was... Like in the, by the time the early nineties had rolled around or, you know, 94, in a way, I kind of felt like I was out of the hardcore phase of my life in some ways, because I would figure that oh, yeah, that shit died in the eighties. You know, it's like, you know, maybe like, uh, you know, Poison Idea had put out, you know, a great record in 1990, you know, Feel the Darkness that came out in, I think, 90, 91, something like Classic that. Classic record. Yeah. But then like, I was working at the Newberry Comics warehouse and that's like where all those guys worked, like Mike Gallagher and. Aaron Harris, all those dudes from ISIS, dudes from Blood for Blood, like work there. And, you know, I worked there. Like it was like this cool, like band guy, you know, we we're all like young and everything. But um, I remember seeing the integrity records come out. You know, by by then I was not, I was into like this kind of, you know, reading about serial killers and like into Charles Manson and, you know, all this like occult stuff and every Satanism and all that. And humanity is the devil, that title alone 
was like what grabbed me about the band and the artwork and like the song titles. And without even hearing the music on the record, I, I bought it. This, this has to be good, you know, because of all these elements. Yeah, Pusshead did the art. Yeah, Pusshead, the, the, you know, the artwork, all that stuff. And that, that's what really drew me into that. And that's kind of like, I guess, hardcore that was like that is the kind of stuff that I really got into in the in the 90s and i started gravitating more towards that you know in cold blood like a lot of clevo bands like uh ringworm you know they kind of had this like edge to it that was different than east coast or even west coast bands and that's you know integrity i always was felt like was a um kind of stood alone in that respect you know and then the lyrical content and uh you know, they weren't singing about being vegetarian or like the scene or like you know straight edge or anything like that it was like just these dark intense lyrics about fucking crazy shit you know that's what i really got into and then the riffs you know slayer riffs slayer you know that sort of japanese uh you know gizm like that kind of thing you know integrity were were instrumental for me as well i mean they were like you know aside from just being a bridge between metal and hardcore which like they absolutely were for me and you know my first exposure was was also through Humanity is the Devil. I like I took a chance on it at like my local CD shop in like '96 or something like that, and the noise stuff that was on there that started to like pop up more and more. Then you know like Integrity 2000 and Dwid's like Psy Warfare stuff like that. That really got me to think about not just like hardcore punk and metal as like the be all end all of like what heavy can mean that heavy can be this whole other layer of like you know sonic anguish uh kind of like through noise so like in a lot of ways i you know i i owe it to uh to integrity for um you know kind of like Getting me into Mersbau. Lots of uh, lots of credit to Dwid. Oh my God! I'm sure Dwid would be jumping off the walls to hear you hear you say that. <laughs> I know you've had Dwid on the show a couple times. Yeah, he's been on a couple times, definitely. Yeah, two or maybe two or three times, maybe. I want to talk about what a juxtaposition of persona versus personality? You know, like you got yeah, you have this idea of him being absolutely terrifying, and he's just like this uh, southern gentleman kind of. Like sweet kind of dude. I don't know. He's a little scary though. Still, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know he is still a little scary, but you know, like it's it's off putting how how uh, nice he is when you first talk to him. You're like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. He's 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 definitely charming in his own way. He's very introspective. Last conversation I had with him, he kind of like said the magic words to me when I like kind of how I gauge music and like people who make music and kind of like what I want out of that, which is like, I don't want you to be playing a fucking role. You know, if you're making like super dark shit, I don't necessarily want you to be like a super dark dude. You know, that stuff, I don't want to be around people like listening to music by people who like cause intentional pain to others and think it's cool from like where Dwight's coming from. It's look, you know, I make this music. I talk about this really dark stuff so that like I can feel better and like not be miserable so that I can like let it out. And that's where, that's how, how I always felt playing music where it's nice to be at a point with it where, you know, there's a degree of like longevity and job security. <laughs> it's unbelievable to think that I pay bills with it. That's never been the idea. That's never been the intention. The intention has always been, I say these awful things. I, I, I yell, I jump around, I hurt myself so that I don't wind up killing myself or miserable. I'd rather be happy 
saying whatever than like authentic and, and and writing about like dark shit and then fucking like going to jail and hurting a bunch of people. It's a whole lot of a whole lot of words for not much of a payoff there. Sorry. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's been kind of the real hardship of the last you know year, man. Is just you know it's one thing to create and write and prepare and all this stuff, but it's like without being able to go out and perform live is like been a real. It's just like the volume on the whole world got turned down. Yeah, that, that that's something, you know, hopefully by hopefully is not too far away, you know, is being able to get up, get back out there. Do you have a you have anything booked coming up? Like a, like for like fall or anything like that? We gotta we got to see if we're interested in supporting some like uh some tours that you know may or may not I I, I don't even it's uh it's cool that they we, we got asked if we were interested, but also uh I I'll 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 see it when I believe it, you know what I mean? But I I kind of feel like by the fall, at least regionally, we'll probably be playing shows because I just read something in the paper about how larger venues are going to be opening with like limited capacity or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, hopefully by September or October, at least on a regional like level, we'll be able to do some stuff around, you know, the tri-state area or like, you know, Chicago and, you know, and also keeping in mind the, the financial aspect of it too. It's like, you know, I don't know what kind of you know, just, just on the dollars and cents end, you know, whether, how practical it would be to do like a full blown, like 30 day us tour might be a little sketchy at this point. You know, that's why I think that at least for us, we're going to try to stick around, maybe go as far West as Chicago or, you know, play the Northeast at least, you know, for just until we see what things are like, you know, how practical that is, you know? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I feel like that's the vibe for like, for like uh Q4 and, uh, local to regional and just I because I feel like I personally think like I, I don't know I talked to some agents and stuff and they're like oh we're not booking anything till 2022 and that makes sense you know because like you're putting all your chips on the table when you do that but it's another thing you know if hey we're in Boston we're gonna come down for a night how does that work totally I guess we'll yeah, see we, that's why we just did this like live you know production thing that just went up last um last Friday and I mean, that stuff's fun to do, but that's like not even remotely, uh, you know, as satisfying as, as playing live, you know, obviously. And, um, you know, it was like a pre-recorded thing and it was cool. Like it looked good. Like I, I wanted to spend some money on producing it and having like multiple cameras and like a legit like sound mix and stuff like that. And, you know, some editing done and atmosphere and it, it was cool, but not, nothing really beats like getting out there and playing live in front of people, you know, and, and interacting with people afterwards and having other bands that you like on the bill and that kind of thing. Did either of you guys watch any of those, any streams? I, it's funny because I didn't watch anything pretty much the whole of last year. And then the tail end of last year, I watched nothing. And then this year I've watched, I mean, well, actually not this year, but in the last few months, I've watched a couple of them. I saw an Undergang one and an Asphyx one. That's sick. Yeah. And I, I had no taste for it. They no taste for it before. I was like, don't care. And then one day I was like, yeah, why not? It's on. I'm here. I love the idea of them. I just, I've, I've meant to uh, a number of times and then I, I get distracted by like something burning in the stove. It just hasn't happened. Well, I think, I think also it means more, it means more to you guys than it does to me. I mean, I, I book shows and I attend them and, you know, I listen to the music, but you guys are up there breaking your backs. That's a whole different thing. You know, and um, and crave, and you know, like one of the reasons why you do that is you crave that physical attention, the physical inter- interaction afterwards. So 
also just socially, it's like there are people that I don't, I'll, I would never see unless I was on tour really. You know what I mean? Oh, it's like, totally. That's like, that's the, the hidden, you know, the hidden menace, I guess. It's like, I'm like, man, I, I would be like one year I was in San Francisco, like five times that year. And, it, and I was like, I remember just even the promoter I'd become like sort of friends with because like, you know, we, we were playing the DNA lounge. Like, you know, it was like the fifth time we played there. And, uh, and I was like, I'll see you. I'll see you in a couple months, man. You know, <laughs> then there's like, you know, other, like other friends that I've known for years just from doing this, you know, and like whenever different bands, you know, over the years, you'd come to LA or you'd go to Indianapolis, a town that like I would never go to unless I had friends there. But we would pass through and I'd see friends and things like that. And uh, now I didn't see, I haven't seen anyone all year, you know, not even, I mean, there are people like just even in Boston that I haven't seen, you know, or, or Richmond, Virginia or any of that, those places. And it's because of not being able to travel on the road and play shows and that kind of stuff. So that's been rough. We were on the road pretty much nonstop uh, for like about a year with like, um, you know, a couple of breaks in between. And then we were on tour when the lockdown orders uh, came into effect and had to fly home. And, uh, you know, at first, like, well, at first it was fucking depressing, but I didn't mind not playing shows for for a while just to like kind of get like, you know, catch my breath and uh, not beat myself up. But I'm at a point right now, like I have no desire to go hang out with anyone really. Like, I, don't, I have no desire to like go get coffee or go get a meal like I, I don't care but i sorry mom i i, I don't want to come visit necessarily but uh i do miss playing shows like i miss I, I miss the sense of purpose i miss the i miss everything about it uh i miss hurting afterwards i miss sweating i uh i i miss smelling like shit and uh you know not shaving for a week and a half Mike, I think, um, again, I just wanted to reiterate how excited we are to do this thing. And I just wanted to talk to you about like some of the stuff you've got coming up with everything went black and, uh, necromaniacs. Looks like recently you did one on, uh, Psycho Gorman. <laughs> I saw that movie the other oh, day. That came out today, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What a ridiculous yeah, that's, um, movie. Yeah. Well, the Astron Six guys, like the, the Canadian production group that made that it's um i've been i've been following them for years and uh one of the one of the, the guy who made this film is also the guy who made the void which came out uh, a few years ago oh yeah great two, two completely different films you know one's like uh over the top funny be you know midnight movie kind of vibe killer clowns from outer space meets like you know attack of the killer tomatoes like that kind of thing. and then the void is like this like weird fiction like cosmic horror kind of you know homage to hp lovecraft and the thing and uh you know the 80s and that kind of stuff and so i've been following we you know collectively the, the three of us are fans of those movies so that was the brand new one to come out so you know that's why we we, we hit that one and uh you know we're going to be launching a patreon for that and um you know there's going to be we there that's it's the show's weekly right now but there's also going to be additional weekly comment um, with various interviews and also like a, a staff pick, you know, that kind of thing. You remember back in the old days, the video stores, you're like, Hey, what am I going to watch this weekend? What do the staff picks say? Yeah. Okay. You know, that kind of thing, you know, that kind of like fun sort of stuff. And then, uh, you know, in the interim and everything went black, I just been doing these solo episodes sort of talking about, you know, just like coping with the pandemic, uh, political, like anti-Trump rants, um, feelings of frustration, uh, <laughs> 
you know, running the gamut. They're more personal. I haven't really been like promoting those as like legitimate content because it's more uh, of a dialogue with people that have been following the show for the last several years or, or who are have interacted with the band in you know prior years. But the uh, the new uh, era of that is going to be more about storytelling and um, you know connecting life experience with some of the like for example one of the projects I'm working on for that is like a oral diary of creating various tombs records and various anodyne records and going back into my journals and you know meeting Eric Rutan for the first time and without how that completely made me reinvent the way I approach making records, you know, and that just, you know, stuff like that. You know, I've interacted with a lot of people who have been still listening to that show, even during Metal metal Matters uh, years for me. And that's some of the content that people wanted to hear. So I'm going to give it to them. You know, in a nutshell, the stuff we got coming up. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to hear that stuff. And uh, again, you know, we're, we're, we're excited to make some moves with this podcast as well. And uh, I don't know, me and Berdan got some fun stuff coming. I hope everyone sticks around and, um, you know, we're, we're going to be coming at you weekly, just like Mr. Hill did. We're excited about it. So please don't leave. Give us a chance, <laughs> please. Nah, man, everyone's going to stick around. I've been, I've been talking about this on, on Everything Went Black, too, where it's like, you know, just like, uh, you know, different. It's the same, but different. You know what I mean? It's like they say in Thailand, same, same, but different. You know, it's like, you know, it's like you guys going to do add your own flavor to it and it's going to, you know, grow and expand. And uh, you can listen to all the old episodes and I'll list all the new episodes and, and get a different perspective on on things. Yeah, I think I think it's cool. I think it's like interesting when there's different eras within the you know body of work. You know, and uh, yeah, it's cool. It's like you know, there's like the Dio version of Sabbath, the Ozzy Sabbath. You know, Ozzy Sabbath. There's like you know the Paul Diano Iron Maiden. There's a Bruce Dickinson Iron Maiden. There's the Ripper Owens. Was that Ripper Owens? Was he an Iron Maiden? Ripper Owens was was no Judas Priest. Oh, Judas Priest. All right, so there's, there's, there's the Halford Priest and the Ripper Owens. But then, but Maiden had that had another guy for a minute, didn't they? They did. Yeah, when Bruce went solo. And then there's the twelve guys they had before Paul Diano. So there's like a rich tapestry of stuff that we can enjoy all to enjoy regarding this show. Tony Martin. We're the Tony Martin of podcast. No, no, no. no. (laughs) You're, you're, you're listening to born again. uh, Born again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. And uh, zero of the heroes on that one, man. It's a, it's a, it's a, Great record. That that's it's it holds up, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I put on Born Against pretty regularly because I'm I I love uh, Ian Gillen, man. I think he's a great singer. Definitely. Yeah, he's a monster for sure. Well, I guess you know, appreciate you um, sending us off in this way, Mike. Um, it's uh, it's pretty exciting to have that, and uh, you know, I think uh, we're definitely it, we're definitely excited to have you back on whenever you're ready. Uh, consequentially, uh, you know, like some of the some of the guys that you that you talk to on the show, guys that I talk to all the time, like Jay Bennett and you know, guys like that and uh, Aaron Turner. So yeah, I don't know, should be fun. Yeah, Jay Jay's a, an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to uh, you know, especially. Especially his his like genres like that seventies like rock thing you know eighties rock thing oh yeah 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 he's definitely he's definitely for that it's it's pretty amazing good dude too and and funny and dry all right guys thanks for having me thanks for having us and uh, um, yeah we're excited to get moving on this what a trip man Mike thanks for everything thanks for being here thanks for inviting us this it means a lot hell yeah man and uh you know everyone thanks for uh you know thanks for listening and let's uh let's keep keep the uh the party uh rolling all right guys take care all right be easy mike take care
That's it for Gimme Metal this week. Stay tuned for next week's episode, available on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 